and kicking around a fucking beer box. Can you get yourself right over there? Okay. Welcome to Basic Cable. I'm your host, Carly. It's Lucas here. We're and back. And we're all gonna die. Happy Monday. Okay. <laughs> That's how this Monday felt. Yeah. Like we're all gonna die. I will be emotionally wrecked after next week's episode. I'll probably be more emotionally I was probably more emotionally wrecked after this week's episode. I don't really care about the battles. Yeah, guess what everyone? Lucas really enjoyed this episode of Game of Thrones. This was probably my favorite episode in a season and a half. I didn't have to endure, this is stupid. This isn't how it would happen. No, I think I yelled, this is fucking rad at one point during the episode. <laughs> yes, you did. It was a welcome change. I loved it. I'm really glad. It was such a... I mean, it was an episode full of fan service. Yeah. But it was also a return to what Game of Thrones used to do best, which is not dragon flying or large-scale battles. It was people in rooms talking. Yeah, I mean, this this episode had zero action with one, I guess, major exception. What? Oh, I got yeah, you. I yeah. got you. We'll get to it. But it was the best in, in recent memory because the acting was great. The writing and dialogue was really good, which is not something you can always say about it. And even the sort of yada yadding we got as far as the, you know, descriptions of, of certain plot elements were done in a way that didn't seem like a cheat. It was just... Okay, I'm still not over Tormund being like, we win around the White Walkers. Well, okay, that How did you absurd. just go around the White Walkers? All right. That's ridiculous. Yes, that was that was ridiculous. But we didn't see any dragons. We saw ghosts. Yeah, we got some ghost. That was cool. What are you doing? No, just don't always talk about what's going on in the room while we're recording. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just doing stuff that listeners don't need to know about. Like picking long hairs out of your sweatshirt? Yes. <laughs> no one needs to know about Sorry. that. Just like I could have... My teeth covered in stuff, and that would just be something you need to deal with. I'm going to deal with it. Let's deal with it. Teeth are looking very beautiful right now. Thank you. Those white strips are doing numbers. I'm glad I chose not to wear the white strips while we recorded. That would be a funny bit, though. That sounds so weird. Okay, so... Welcome to Basic Cable. I'm Carly. Okay. Let me be clear. That's not... Um, an offensive thing no, that Luke's doing. that's just what Carly doing. sounds like with her white strips I in. do, because, like, I can't let my teeth touch, and, like, I am, there's just, like, a lot of stuff in my mouth, so. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, somebody else had a lot of stuff in her mouth during this week's episode of Thrones. Gross, babe. What? I'm asking you to keep it clean. I'm sorry. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to this. Okay. Steamed up. Essentially, this episode was like a play, you know? It, no big set pieces, just people... It in... was a series of one-act plays, yeah. Well, no, because one-act plays don't have any relevance to each other. These all had relevance to one another. Well, I mean, it was sort of like one of those movies that's just sort of a string of vignettes. Whatever. You're, I'm agreeing with you. 
Keep it moving. But you're well, disagreeing at... with me. Okay, it was it was like a, a one long play. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and instead of trying to recap it, because really plot-wise, nothing happened, but so much emotional stuff happened that we want to talk about it. But let's just kind of run through the interactions, who was in them, from our sort of least significant, important, to most impactful, most important scenes of the episode. Let's do it. Shall we? Yeah. Okay. So, what are um, these numbers you have next? To, I'm looking at the rundown. Carly's got crazy numbering system going on. Those are the the scene number. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just rewatched it and I took note of which scene happened when. Got it. So that we could have a reference point. Okay. And so I think I'm glad you did. I think of 24, 24 scenes. So we've got like 22 because there are two montages I left out. So from 22 to number one. All right. Let's go. Okay. Coming in last place for me, the Hound and Barrick. And for a second there, Arya's interaction up on the castle walls. Yeah, Beric tries to preach at him, and Hound's not having it, and son, or Arya just bails on both of them, calls them old shits, and just dips out. Yeah, it, it, it leads fine. me to believe the Hound and Beric are going to survive next week. Why? Why do you think it's that? Because they got no sort of send-off here. Do they? Are, are they deserving of one, given that we've got 45 other characters that we care more about? Well, let me bring some challenge reality TV producing into this for you. All right, bring it. Okay. You can almost guarantee who's going to get eliminated on the show like a challenge, like the challenge, as soon as they start focusing on a certain cast member very heavily at the beginning of the episode. If you find out why that cast member wants to win the money, or you find out something, you know, if they are finally featured after going six weeks with never getting a confessional interview, that person's going home. Yeah, generally speaking... But if you fly under the radar during the episode, you know what? You're probably not going to get selected for the kill floor, and you're going to be fine. Thank you for applying Buna Murray logic to Game of Thrones. I'm glad you've really educated us here. So, by that logic, Hound and Beric not getting much airtime tells me... Going to squeak by? Yeah, we're not really going to be set up for an emotional parting with them next week. Sure. All right. Moving on. Miss Sandy and Grey Worm making promises to each other about what they're going to do after the war is won. Both of them seem to assume Danny's just going to let him go. I don't I'm, think I'm, so. I'm surprised you ranked this as low in the importance as you did. You love Grey Worm. Of course I do. And it's hard, but I'm t- it wasn't a great interaction because it's foolish. Because as soon as you say, we're going to go sit on a beach together... You're dead. We, you may as well have just died of a heart attack right there, Grey Worm, because you're not living long enough to go to a beach with Miss Sandy. Are you lumping the second interaction that Miss Sandy and the Worm had? When the they, kiss? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it had no dialogue. But it, well, and also in terms of like dialogue writing, this wasn't the strongest. No, it, it wasn't. But it was nice. There was also just it was sad. I mean, Jesus, Wintertown people, like be a little less racist, please. These two little girls see Miss Sandy, who's beautiful and nice, and just, like, run away. <coughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were being, like, passively bigoted, but they, at Not least they were, like... they ran away from her. That's the definition of passive. It would have been active if they ran towards her and, like, throw stuff at her. 
Well, they're just not welcome there. And I, I'm, I'm kind of confused because when we watched this, Grey Worm's like, after the war, do you really want to stay here? And I was like, okay, well, after the war, you're not going to stay in Winterfell. You would go to King's Landing. Yeah, um, it was unclear as to why they were having that conversation. Like, did, given, I think they're just both tired. They've been following Danny around. And I think, you know, they're just both ready to, like, have their own life. <laughs> yeah, they're ready to <laughs> settle into domestic bliss. Exactly, which... We all know as soon as you want domestic bliss, you're done for. You don't just get to leave the Game of Thrones world happy. No. White Rat, a.k.a. the Worm, is fucked. Yeah. So, that's sad. Next one. Tyrion and Bran. After the war room meeting, Tyrion's like, Oh, Bran, let me hear your story. And Bran's like, It's really long. And Tyrion's like, Well, we're trapped in a castle. Let's hear it. But as quick as, like, five minutes later, he's no longer with Bran. Yeah. So. Even Tyrion, the guy that's most interested in Westerosi history, perhaps other than Sam, was bored and creeped out by Bran. I mean, yeah. He's, he's got a way about him. He's yeah. a weird little boy. He's like, you know what? I like to drink and know things, but I really don't want to know about your 15 years underneath a tree. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm well, going to go drink. What if Bran, like, just, like, broke out, like, a daily diary and just started reading diary entries? Eight acorns under the tree again. Blood Raven talked shit for three hours. Eight acorns again. Mirror was annoying. That's not Bran's voice at all. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. He's like, hi. (laughs) He's super stoned. I'm super stoned. No, you're not. Just kidding. I, I'm not. Okay, Jamie and Bran. Did I rank this one too low at the Weirwood? No, that, that... I mean... The trial of Jamie Lannister was pretty brief. It really was. Like, he, he got off really We talked easy. about this when we talked about the preview. I was like, oh, I think they'll be pretty welcoming and like bring him in. And you were like, I don't think so. But W for Carly, because all Brienne had to do is... Be like, I vouch for him. And then Sansa's like, I vouch for Brienne. And John was like, I can't look my aunt in the eyes right now. So that left Danny with no choice but to be like, okay. Yeah, he, he like, Jamie pulled off one of those moves, like, where, like, your parents are in, like, a big fight. And then you get in trouble at school. And, like, they don't notice. <laughs> so they just, like, not don't ground you. Because or, like, you they're did going it. through a diver- divorce. Or, like, you did something at school, like, you know... You cheated on a test, but what you're in trouble for is minor in comparison, and they're not paying attention. Because Bran throws out the the things we do for love, but everyone's just kind of like, ugh, Bran being Bran. But of course, Jamie knows that's a reference to him attempting to murder Bran. Sure, but nobody else did, and no. Bran was cool about it, and yeah. Jamie was cool about it, so, you know, water under the bridge. <laughs> well, Bran... Basically says, you had to do that to become the person you are now, and you had to do it to help me become the person bird I am now. <laughs> I'm a person bird now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I, to let Jamie off the hook without any consequence for that is a bit of a letdown, but... He lost a hand. Okay. <laughs> Bran can't walk. Yeah, but he can fly. True. <laughs> and he knows everything now. Who needs to walk when you just know things? Ignorance is bliss. 
Next on my list, Theon and Sansa. This You could have put this one like dead last for all I cared. Well, I kind of moved this up because what was interesting to me is Theon knows Danny. He and Yara went to Marine to make the deal with her. Yeah. So the fact that Theon comes to Winterfell, asks for Sansa, and basically pledges his loyalty to her in front of Danny is interesting. I and, agree. I mean And the look Danny has on her face, I don't think it was one of like, oh my god, this is so sweet. I think it's like, what the fuck? Everyone th- here is loyal to this woman and not me. Or it was like just another sort of example of Sansa proving that she is worthy of Danny's respect. A, a grudging respect. Well, but-, but Danny doesn't like to respect people who threaten her. And I think she's getting increasingly threatened by everyone's deference to Sansa and just grudging respect of Danny. Well, Danny's the away team. Like she's, the Lord of she's the Vale is, you know, waits for Sansa's okay before leaving her with his queen. I know. Um, Theon acknowledges Sansa, not Danny. Um, and then it was like weirdly emotional. That was the most emotional Sansa's been with the like someone from her family, and Theon's not in her family. And I, I mean, I get that that they've been through a lot together, but part of that going through a lot together was like Theon sitting on his hands while Sansa got brutalized. <laughs> Exactly. So I don't know why she's got so much love for him later in the song montage. Like sharing a nice bowl of gruel. Yeah, and she's looking at him sort of, I wouldn't say it's romantic or loving, but it is sort of like what has happened to you. But it's it's very full of love, I would say. Not romantic, but familial love. Yeah, and Theon doesn't deserve it. (laughs) You don't deserve it, man. Another Danny interaction makes it pretty low on my list. Jorah and Danny briefly chat. He reminds her that she forgave him for all of his transgressions and she should be easier on Tyrion and go talk to Sansa. Yeah, I mean, and that was just like 30 seconds to as as a transition that led her to talking to Sansa in that little chamber room, which was a great scene. Yeah. Jorah and Sam... What did you think of this scene? Sam giving Jorah Heartsbane a gigantic Valerian steel sword to Jorah, which... I liked it. I mean, I, I knew it was coming. That's sort of been... This particular interaction has been one of the ones that everybody on Reddit got right. Like, Why? What significance of, is this? Because is it's... Is just like a parlay bet of Reddit theories for Game of Thrones? Like, I bet Sam and Jorah will have an exchange. Do you, you mean a, a... Never mind. I'll I'm thinking of like a side bet. A prop bet. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh... Yeah, I want to know the prop bet Reddit theories. <laughs> no, it's just as soon as uh, as John had the conversation with Jorah about perhaps giving Longclaw back to him and... Um, it was clear that Sam and Jorah were going to be sharing the same space and Sam had this Valyrian steel sword. It was assumed that he was going to give it to somebody and the the most logical person would be the guy who should have had a Valyrian steel sword had he not, you know, betrayed his family, which was Jorah. So it makes sense. I do like, I mean, it was a great scene. I I like that there was like comedic elements. I mean, this was like low key, one of the funniest episodes that we've had in quite some time. And so, you know, 
uh, Sam's joke about how he'd love to wield it, he just can't lift it up, is was actually pretty funny. Yeah. That's sad. Okay, Danny and Sansa. We just referenced this. I have said Sansa, Sansa, oh, Sansa. <laughs> I'm going with Sansa. Bandsaw. Um, <laughs> piece of. This starts out really what? well for Danny. She's actually being nice and friendly. They slam dunk on Jon Snow being short. That was an unnecessary dunking, I thought. I but... know. It's like of all the things you could compare Khal Drogo to. And I mean, Danny, you're not that tall either, so. Let's just calm down. Sansa's got the the win here on the height. Um, she makes the point that she is in love with John. Sansa says men do stupid things when they're in love with women, and Sansa and Danny's like, "Well, he manipulated me, actually. I'm that up was, here with my dragons." I actually thought that was a good point. I mean, you know, we've been very critical of Danny and her stubbornness and everything like that, but when it comes down to it, she's right. I mean, she could have and likely should have just gone straight to King's Landing. However, she did make a sacrifice to fight John's war, and it's good that she pointed that out, because I don't think the audience really recognized the weight of that decision, and nor did anybody else that seems to be thinking that she's some sort of megalomaniac, which she likely is, but she did make this one sacrifice. Yes, and they're, they're even like, you know... I didn't like the hand, the hand holding thing. That's like something like now we're holding hands, like a, like a mean stepmom does, like a condescending putting your hand over. Like I didn't like that part. Well, Danny yanks it away when Sansa's like, "We don't really want a queen. Like, can we sort of be independent after this is all over?" Which this, you know, Danny gave that deal to Yara and Theon for the Iron Islands. Well, I mean. It's easy to get rid of the Iron Islands. It's much bigger ask to get rid of the biggest of the Seven Kingdoms. Well, when the North is absolutely ravaged and destroyed, what good is it anyway? Good point. Let them have it. But they don't even get to finish talking because that's when Theon arrives. Okay. Oh, little Lyanna Mormont screaming at Jorah. She is like, I'm going to fight. Not going to the crypts. Yeah, you're not going to make me go to the crypts. And I'm going to fight. And you've disgraced our family. Good fortune to you, cousin. That's it. Moving on. <laughs> but it ranks really high on my list because little Liana is a badass. Yeah, it was great. And I love her. I like Jorah's, like, respectful, but also, like, ain't she a little scamp-type smile that he puts on when she starts giving him shit? But again, this was another thing that we... This was another interaction that we'd sort of been expecting is, you know, what is going to House Mormont's reaction to Jorah's return going to be? And like um, Jamie, Jorah got off pretty easy. I mean, he was banished. He, he should be beheaded the second he steps back on Westerosi's soil. That, that is his punishment. But he just gets a little tongue lashing from a 10-year-old girl and keeps it moving. Might be worse. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh Ed, John, and Sam back together, the very last of the Night's Watch. Yeah. Are they really it for the Night's Watch? Everyone else die at East Watch? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, but there's still like the Shadow Tower that was still manned. At one, so I, I can't imagine. But they are up on the walls of Winterfell. They're reminiscing about the yeah, past. Two players and one virgin. Hell yeah. Ed tries to, you know, get one in on on Sam saying, like, Jesus, if our fate is in Samuel Tarly's hands, like, we are fucked. 
And Sam's like, um, technically speaking, you're the only one not fucked, dude. Hell yeah, clap back, King Sam. <laughs> he is on it. He really was. Um, but then, you know, Ed still gets one and he's like, Jesus, it really is the end of the world if Samuel Tarley is the slayer of white walkers and lover of women. Yep. But we saw a little little boy named Ghost in the background there. Yeah, we did. A little white Cost boy like named Ghost. $35 million for Ghost to just stand there. We talked about this when the episode was going. It, it it couldn't have cost that much. I mean, I know it's very expensive when they do like action scenes with the with the CGI wolves, but had they done just put Ghost in the background of scenes and not really have him move that much, people wouldn't make such a big deal about Ghost being around. I mean, they You could have bought like a shaggy white IKEA rug and balled it up and left it in the background. <laughs> But, yeah, and called that ghost. They, sh- they should have Drawn just... Drawn two little red eyes on it. Had a blurry CGI version of Ghost in the background of scenes that John was in for the past three seasons. And we wouldn't even be talking about like the fact that Ghost arrived as being like a big deal. And don't even tell me that Game of Thrones is above Ikea purchases. Because the Night's Watch cloaks are made of Ikea rugs. So... Are they? Yes. They could have gotten one more. A little white one. Just rumpled it up in the corner. Right. Then you shoot them. Put a out couple of, focus. of those like googly eyes from Michaels or Joanne's on exactly. it. Exactly. You know, you don't need a ten million dollar budget to make a fake dog in the background. Just ask me. Hang on. All right, we are moving in to my top five here. I'm surprised you put this one on. I like this scene too, but it was kind of a, a forgettable, I guess. It wasn't important, but we get Davos serving food on the line, reassuring Northerners, like, it's totally cool, you're going to be a soldier now, you're definitely going to die. And this little girl comes up, and half of her face is burned, she looks just like little Shireen, and it just pulls at your heartstrings, and the girl says she wants to fight. Yeah, it was adorable. It was so cute. And then Gilly comes over. I think, the, for anyone who's upset with the lack of Gilly we've seen, I believe the actress who plays her is pregnant, which would explain why she's not so present in the scenes. <sighs> I thought you were going to say it explains why something else that you were remarking on during the No. <laughs> um... And, you know, Gilly convinces little girl, you know, you're so strong. Like, we could definitely use you in the crypts um, because we'll get to it. But, like, everyone is just giving way too much damn credit to the crypts right now as being this safe haven. And so they're trying to get all the women and children, anyone who might be at risk, into the crypts. Anyone who might be too much of a wimp to fight that great. Yes. I think like Leanna Mormont should uh, team up with that Shireen-looking girl and start, like, a young killer squad the way that, like, Kyburn had his creepy little birds that were like all those little maniac kids, those children of the corn creeps. Yeah. The young killer squad. Maybe. Well, she's starting her Boys of Bear Island boy band. <laughs> fronted by Liana Mormont. I'd, I'd go see that band in concert. <laughs> you have to say the whole title. Boys of Bear Island boy band. With lead singer Liana Mormont. And Podrick. <laughs> A good singer. He is a good singer, but that's not time for that scene yet. I don't know. It was just sweet. Gilly used to be illiterate. Davos used to be illiterate. 
I'm pretty sure they both interacted with Shireen. I cannot be 100% sure about Gilly, but Shireen did reside at Castle Black for a time while Gilly was living there. So it would have made sense that the two met. It but we know for sure that Shireen taught Davos how to read. Sure. Don't you sometimes think that like all the people who have died are like better off now that they're not going to die at the hands of White Walkers? I guess, but I mean, meaning like they're better off because they're not going to be like reborn as like zombies because they very well could be. I mean, if they're well, Shreem burned to death, so definitely she not can't, her. <laughs> but like, I mean, if your body's if you're like fucking Stannis and your body's in the woods somewhere, getting like you know with like a big stab wound in your stomach, then I think he was decapitated. Well, maybe his kappa was detated. <laughs> Oh, if we got zombie Stannis, that'd be kick-ass. Can White Walkers be headless, though? I don't know. I think you need all 206 bones connected. Is that how many bones a person has? I'm not sure. I don't don't know either. (laughs) It's somewhere in the 206 to 260 range. All right. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. I I think it's 206. I'm willing to die on that hill. All right. Yeah, it was just a sweet scene. Um, okay. John and Danny. This is our final dialogue scene of the episode. And John, who has been like ghosting, pun, on Danny all episode, she obviously finds him down in the crypts, standing in front of Liana's tomb. Yeah. Apologizes for her brother raping Liana. Did you feel like Liana's uh, tomb was, like, less detailed than, like, the, the others? It seemed like her face wasn't really, uh, you know, well-defined as far well, as the statue Well, technically, since goes. she's not supposed to be down there, maybe they only, like, half-assed it. Okay. <laughs> well, right? Liana's shouldn't have had a tomb in the crypts, only the lords, right? No. It's only men in the crypts, I thought. I don't think so. No, I thought Liana's was special. Yeah, maybe. No. I thought you read the books. I did! <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> Like no other women are down there. I don't. I don't know that that to be the case. You, you very well might be right. I'm pretty sure it's only lords, and that this was a special dispensation for Ned, so that they could bury her with the harp. Perhaps you're right. Um, she's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and she's really doing that like desperate girlfriend thing, where within one second of approaching John, she's already linked arms, head <laughs> on his shoulder, like, "Oh my god, tell me about your." Aunt Mom. She pulled the car, Maria. <laughs> yes. She's all over John. And Oh my God, you're my boyfriend. <laughs> We're down in the crypts together. Are you going to introduce me to your aunt? <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> like, I heard Rager was cool. I'm really sorry he did that. And John breaks it to her that Liana is his mom, who had a baby named him. And... <laughs> Ned raised him as his bastard, but oh yeah, he's a Targaryen. And not only is he any Targaryen, he's Aegon, sixth of his name. Were you surprised at how quickly it seemed that John processed this information? Did yeah, he- he's really come around to it. Yeah, he. I mean, he kind of fought it off for about ten seconds in the same crypt with Sam last week, but now he seems to be fully embracing it. Maybe he went and had a download with Bran. Maybe. Um... And he, he tells Danny that. He goes, Bran told me. He saw it. And she's like, he saw it? And we're like, okay. Danny, he also saw Viserion reanimated as a White Walker dragon. Give the boy some credit. <laughs> he spent 30 years under a tree. 
for no- not for nothing. And to Danny's credit, she at first like scoffs and like, ah, what a coincidence that your best friend and your brother are the only people that know this. But then she seems to come around and accept I don't, it. I, don't I mean, she's she, pissed about it. I don't think she does. I think she's, you know, in her mind, the two people that told him are his brother and the best friend who's pissed at her for burning his family. So you, you think that Danny thinks that this is a ruse. Not a ruse, but I think she has reason not to trust the information and thinks it's very convenient that someone who's an absolute adversary in her mind, Sam, and the brother of John might be conspiring to convince John he is the rightful heir so that she can be knocked off since she doesn't seem to be welcome in the North. Yeah, I mean, the way that I read it was that initially she was like, that's really coincidental, that's bullshit. But then, like, five seconds later, when John, like, puts his foot down, she accepts it and then shifts to being, like, worried and pissed that John is who he is and therefore has a better claim to the throne Well, I think she her. can be both. I think she can be worried and pissed but also think it's fake because if two people who are trusted are backing the guy who is beloved up there that he has the better claim to the throne, it still threatens her whether it's true or not. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that Danny's position has become so tenuous so quickly. I mean, she, she's sort of, uh, you know, having to defend her place of power with all of the Stark kids at this point, and she seems to not have, be having much success at all. Much no. like our boy Tyrion is not having much success with anything in... What seems like forever. No, he's really not. So that was, you know, a tough, tough moment there for the lovebirds. And then we get the battle horn sounding. So they have to get up to the walls. And they kind of look like they're going to talk about it some more. But they're also sort of like, to your dragons. Um, And they kind of go off. But she doesn't look so happy. No, she's pissed. As they man their positions. (laughs) She better uh, get her head in the game and don't leave this... uh romantic squabble in the back of her mind during this very critical battle. Yes. My bronze medal for best scene interactions is the pre-battle partay in the Great Hall with Tyrion, Jamie, Pod, Brienne, Davos, and Tormund. Not only did it bring us some of the most emotional moments, but some of the funniest Fuck of yeah. Tormund giving his backstory of how he got the name Giant's Bane, but also by totally messing up the most infamous nickname in the Seven Realms of Kingslayer. He's like, I hear they call you the King Killer. I hear they call you the King Killer. Um, uh, no, lost in translation a little bit there. He was like, maybe someone does, but that's not it. But it was just a great mix of all these random people. Tormund tells the story of how he killed a giant when he was 10 and then crawled into bed with the giant's wife and. Everyone else in that scene gets these like office style cutaways where they're like, That's "What?" Great. So here's the the actor who plays Torment is doing so much, and it it's so over the top. He is what uh, Pilar Aspic or whatever his name is. You know, I'm not not ever going to get this name right. He is what Euron, the the actor who plays Euron, I think thinks he's doing and failing. But but uh, Tormund is like killing it. He's he's doing some weird ass performance, but it works every time. 
Well, Tormund also had one of the best lines, you know, when they arrive at Winterfell, he's like delivering the terrible news that you've got till sun up till the Night King is here. And the smash cut line is, is the big woman here? <laughs> like, and then in the war room scene, he is like, we're all going to die. It's great. Well, and then he has like a 40 second scene with no dialogue where he just chugs beer out of a, a horn and spills it all over his face. It's fucking great. Tormund is the MVP so far. Oh my god, it is so bad. That's why I love this episode so much, is that as many like great sort of emotional moments that we've got, we've got equally the same number of like gallows humor type moments, and Tormund was responsible for several of them. Okay, silver medal... Oh my god, I'm still, like, the only notes I have under this are, ah! You have these in the wrong order. You want to switch them? Oh yeah. Well, let's switch them. All right. Okay. Silver medal, we're back to the judges table, we've reissued our scores, there's been a recount, Um, is Jamie knighting Brienne. God, it was awesome. But you still put that as a gold? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Jamie decides... Well, okay. Tyrion accidentally calls Brienne Sir. And Brienne's like, oh, you know, women can't be knights. And Tormund's like, well, that's stupid. Another great Tormund line. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, if I were a king, I would knight you ten times over. Fuck yeah. And Brienne and Pod exchange a little look when she's like, no, I, I don't need to be a knight. I don't care. Have Pod, you talked about how much you're into Pod right I'm now? I'm super into Pod. He looks really good with his long hair. I mean... I know some people are really into the Jamie long hair, salt and pepper beard, but it's not his best look. Sorry. Um, I would go short hair Jamie, beautiful blonde, like pilot episode Jamie, and then this. But Pod has like grown out his flow a little bit. He's fighting real nice, <laughs> singing real good. <laughs> he looks like he's been in the gym a little bit. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> he's like... In the pod, but he's got a pod bod. Pod bod. <laughs> but he just, you know, I like love to him. consider myself a, a pod bod guy. You, you're you between a pod bod and a Jamie bod. All right. I'll take that, <laughs> I guess. I'm th- probably closer to the pod bod, but whatever. Um, but pod exchanges a look with Bran, and he's like, bullshit, you want to be a knight more than anything in this world. And Jamie being, you know, the pal that he is... Says, you don't need a king tonight. I'm, I'm going to knight you right now. And does a very emotional knighting ceremony. And then Brienne gets up and smiles for like the first time I've ever seen it in this series. Yeah, that's the kiss of death for our, our new newly minted knight. I know. And this is combined, I'm kind of combining this with the scene from earlier in the episode where... Jamie kind of tries to make small talk with her and she calls him out on it. Like, you, what do you want? Why are you here? What are you doing? And he's like, I want to serve under you. What'd you think of, like, the love triangle between Tormund, Jamie, and, and Brienne? I mean, I think by the end of that nighting scene, even Tormund was a Brienne and Jamie shipper. He was I, yeah. clapping, he was smiling. He, he did a slow clap as soon as he started a slow clap. <laughs> It's fucking great. I think he is invested in them as a couple. I guess. There were so many loaded looks. It Hard. was like an episode of the the office during that scene. It was just all these cutaways to people like mugging at the camera. There were just so many like emotional moments, you know, Jamie's hand kind of like flexes on the 
sword pommel and he knows what he's doing is so important. And on that last one, he like brushes the sword off her shoulder armor. It was just oh, chef's me, kiss. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first knighting ceremony that I think we've seen on the show. Yeah, I, I mean... It's, a, it's an important, you know, like, religious, like, ceremony. I mean... According to Lucas, it was truncated. Yeah, she, he, he only named three three of the seven gods and for whatever reason ignored the crone, the smith, the stranger, somebody else. Now you know all everything about the books. I mean, Earlier, I, you're not sure. I mean, I know the, the, the seven gods. of information. No. But yes, that was... And also, the, the warrior is really the only god that the, the knights care about. Okay. My gold medal. My gold medal. Our gold medal scene. This might be like a top five GOT ever moment. Top one. Both of these two might be a top, like, out of eight seasons. Just edge their way. This episode was like a Jeopardy with James Holtzauer. There were so many Hall of Fame moments. It was great. Um, breaking so many records. But holy God. Oh my God. Arya. Arya. And Gendry. And Gendry. Did it. Did it. They did it. They did it. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. Oh, it was sweet. We get two interactions with them. The first, Arya, it's like playful, flirty. She wants to know what the White Walkers are like. And he says really bad. And she's like, <laughs> really bad you can do better than that um you know a little nagging on him yeah and he gets really serious and he's like no it's it's terrible it's death i wouldn't advise that you fight against it and she starts like throwing dragon glass arrows bing 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 (laughs) and like they all like land in the exact same spot yeah she's just showing off yeah she's definitely showing off and gendry's into it and she walks away she's like she's like my weapon please he's like yep mm -hmm, right on it he has a little smile it's a smirk and then later she's shooting arrows he brings her his weapon she asks how many how many girls he been with in king's landing how many what's your number well i mean yeah she does the what's your number but first she's like why what happened when you dipped out from the brotherhood without banners and there was leeches what what was that all about and no, I think she knew, though. I think I think she had an idea. But that is when Gendry says, oh, by the way, I'm Robert Baratheon's bastard. And she seemed to be, like, into that. <laughs> I, I mean, know. the Starks and the Baratheons have always wanted to commingle houses. Yes. We've got it. Yes. And, you know, after she gets his number, she's like, it's my last night on Earth. And I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about his number? You think he... <laughs> Pulled the American Pie bit where you just multiply it by three. We should have gotten like a cutaway scene to, you know, Arya shopping in the Wintertown Mall <laughs> with Sansa. And Sansa's like, everyone knows Arya when a guy says three only means one. It was just the one, right? I don't know. I mean, Gendry's really hot. All right. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I mean, like, Pod is no Gendry. Oh, okay. Like, it's like Gendry and But what about Pod's John. singing skills? Well, I haven't heard Gendry sing. No, that's true. Um, but you yeah, heard, they... You heard that uh, sweet steel singing across that anvil when he's on working that forge. Yeah. Yeah, sure buddy, making that spear. So yeah, they, you know, hit it and quit it. 
No, I didn't hit it and quit it. They spent yeah. the night together. Yeah, they snuggle. It's cute. Yeah. But, okay, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this because I feel like men are having a harder time, like, rationalizing and reconciling with this because we all watched Arya grow up in Game of Thrones. And if you want to be very ungenerous and say every season has only spanned a year, she's still 18. Right. But, you know, I don't know how the calendar for Game of Thrones works, but I'm going to say she's had at least like eight or nine name days <laughs> since the start of the series. Yeah. And Maisie Williams herself is 22. Right. So there's no reason to feel weirded out, but I know it's hard because she met Gendry when she was like 12 and he was, you know old <laughs> so here's here's what i'll say about this and i think it's interesting that gendry is involved with this given that actor's past work so i think it's a very like american idea that we should be creeped out by that particular scene in you know british television and things like that they are much more willing to explore young people's and teenagers sexuality the actor who plays Gendry was Chris on Skins, a show that had actors and actresses, including Gilly, much younger, involved which with much more explicit sexual situations. And this situation between Arya and Gendry was, to, to, to my mind, the most, like, sex-positive interaction that's happened on this show. Oh, for sure. Enthusiastic consent. Uh, yeah. Maisie all, Williams, all Arya, of, All the of way. this show has either been incest or rape or i mean like okay prostitution or prostitutes yeah so like it's such a weird like an american thing to like think that like young people engaged in consensual sex is like a creepy thing to talk about or think about well that's an interesting take because my thing is i think people are having a weird time with like how young she was when they met and how you know she definitely always had a crush on him but he probably was not sexually attracted to her when they first met. But but there was I definitely some like, romance when they last saw each other. Like he was like, you know, I I I don't want you to be, you know, my family or my friend. I want you to be my lady. That was like the last thing he said. He didn't to say her. I want. He said you would be. You know, because she wanted him to come to Winterfell, and I think she saw him as sort of like a big brother's. But she kind of had a crush on him, and he saw her definitely as just like a little. Sister, who once they got back to Winterfell, she would be the Lady of Winterfell, and he mm-hmm. would not. No, when he have said a place. No, no, no. What he meant by "you would be the Lady" meant that Lady meant wife, not mean no, like you would I be the Lady of Winterfell because she wouldn't be the Lady of Winterfell. He meant she would be his lady. No, I think he meant you'd just be a rich girl, and I would be a poor mm-hmm. boy. Because then, when they reconnect last episode, he's like, "I knew you were always a rich girl." Yeah, I know. I mean, yes, that that. I sort don't of think cl- when she was twelve and he was, you know, however old he was, definitely over eighteen. He was like, "I'd want you to be my wife." I disagree. I mean, th- there's a reason why everyone assumed that this was going to be a couple that would happen because they had sparks even back then. As in, she had a crush on him, like a child crush. Okay, I mean, you're you're. you're I think you're trying to make me say something extremely creepy. No, I'm not. I'm just. I think it's creepier that you think he loved her back then in a romantic way. <laughs> I mean... I think you've already said the creepy thing. Compared to the books, the show has been very chaste as far as uh, 
you know, these underage relationships go. I definitely think the read was he cared about her when he left to do the Brotherhood with Banner without Banners, but definitely didn't foresee them getting down and dirty in the crypts of Winterfell like they did. And you can even tell he's a little hesitant when she first kisses him. He's like, and then she pushes him down and she, when she takes off her top and he sees all these scars on her, he's like, what has happened to you? So he's psyched. No, I think he's very confused, but good for her. Yeah. God bless Arya. That, that was the, I mean, I'm going to give gold medals to both the knighting and the sex and the bedding. Yes. Just too good. Okay. We had a couple montages in the episode. The war room as they were prepping Winterfell. We've seen them sticking dragon glass on every wall. They've made these ditches with full of dragon glass and wood stakes that'll presumably set on fire. They've got catapults. How do, what do you think? How do you they're think their strategy is going? I have no idea. Like the only small amount of strategy talk we get is that. Brienne tells Jamie that she's going to be leading the left flank. Okay, well, we, we do know the strategy is going to be Brienne's going to be a little honeypot. Oh, right, yeah, right. In the Godswood. And they're going to try to lure... Be a tasty Brienne muffin <laughs> yes. sitting out there. He's just going to be like, what's up? That seems like a terrible idea, given, you know, the experience that uh, Stark Rickon? children have yes. with being bait. Hasn't worked out well for them in the past. Well, Brienne's going to, you know... It seems get, like a terrible plan. Get all pretty and wait in the wood, God's wood for the Night King. Yeah. Um, Theon is absolutely going to die protecting him because that's apparently the only reason Theon's back is to die in Winterfell. That'd be sweet if Bran's out there in the God's wood and he like seduces the Night King. He's like, I'm not the Red Woman. You're going to have to take those pants off, Night King. We also get a nice montage that we mentioned while Pod is singing his little heart out. We see Arya and Gendry in bed together. Arya looks, you know, troubled as she lay awake. We see Theon and Sansa eating together, looking really nice. She's giving him a couple once-overs. I can't tell. I don't know what's going on there. And then Sam, Gilly, and little Sam are in bed. Gilly and Sam are looking at each other. Little Sam just sleeping. Does, does he know how to talk yet? Little Sam is far too old to be sleeping in bed with his parents. Yeah. Come on, Little Sam. <laughs> um, Nut up. And plot-wise, like I said, not too much happened, but we, we get an answer to the biggest question of the series. What does the Night King want? Are you satisfied with this answer? Not Lucas? at all. No, 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 I am not. You're not but satisfied. I'm, I'm glad they, I guess, addressed it, but it is, like, this is the most I'm not seeing yada, enough yada. people talking about this. It's crazy. I mean, this is what I've been talking about. Like, we, we have no idea what the motivation of the Night King is until this episode, and we get it in three sentences from Bran, and I assume that's all we're going to get. Yeah, according to Bran, all the Night King wants is an endless night to wipe humanity off the board and... Erase history. And all the Three-Eyed Raven's job is is to be the memory of humanity. Which, those are those are decent ideas, and they make sense thematically. It's just I wish that they would have started exploring this two and a half seasons ago. Yeah. Bran's like, oh, I'm marked by the Night King. He's going to come for me. He wants to erase my memory. And Sam compounds that, saying, yeah, if I were 
you know, that's what death is. And if I were death and I wanted to erase humanity, I would start with the person who knows everything. And all of that tracks. Like, like the logic makes sense. It's just, it's unfortunate that we've gotten this far into it and they've had to do this explanation in in two sentences. Well, and you asked last week, what is the point of Game of Thrones? And I think it's legacy. You know, why do you lobby so hard to have your houses marry? Why do you lobby so hard to be a good king? Why do you not want your reputation to be the Kingslayer? Your legacy is all you'll have after you die. And a lot of the families in this episode, a lot of the characters in this episode are reckoning with that. Jorah's legacy is disgracing House Mormont. Sam's legacy is his dad and brother being burned alive and he can't really claim the Tarly name because he's a Night's Watch brother slash maester. So he double can't. You know, it's that legacies matter. So the idea that the Night King wants to take away everything everyone on this show has worked for is an okay idea. Yeah, no, I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, legacy, I think you could substitute that for history. I mean, one of the most interesting things about this entire story is the lengths that they've gone, gone through to provide a thousands and thousands of years worth of history of this world. And... It's 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 very interesting that the ultimate enemy isn't really somebody who's like a political foe of any of the people that we've seen, but somebody whose goal is to erase that history from the world. And I actually I, I like that. I think that's an, that, that that's a a well constructed villain. It's just I, I wish it was fleshed out a little bit more. And it lends credence to the idea that Sam is sort of writing right. I mean, the exactly. new I mean, history of Westeros after this Battle of Winterfell. Yes. I mean, I, I think that, that it's a safe assumption to, to, to so make... So does that mean Sam lives? Well, yeah. I mean, somebody is going to have to write the story of Ice and Fire, the, the literal story of it. And it's always been assumed that Sam would be the person that actually authors that text. And I don't have any reason to disbelieve that at this point. Okay, too many references in this episode about how safe the crypts are going to be. Yeah. Danny tells Tyrion, you're going to wait in the crypts because it's going to be safe. John asks Sam, do you want to wait in the crypts because it's going to be safe with Gilly? Gilly tells that little girl it's going to be safe in the crypts. It's all people talking about how safe it's going to be in the well, crypts. Remind me who we saw actually in the crypts during the, the initial Varys trailer. Yeah, so it's Gilly. Varys, Gilly. That's it. Arya's running through them at one point post-battle looking right. scared shitless. Yeah, I'm trying Those to are the only three that I remember seeing in the crypts during the trailer. Right. Um, but how dumb are they to assume that the White Walkers aren't going to find their way into the crypts? They're just looking for humans. Yeah, I mean, the Night that... King's got to know that there are going to be a ton of living and already dead humans in the crypts. Yeah, they seem to be telegraphing what, what we've assumed is that there's going to be some like ancient King of Winter resurrected in the crypts. Which, I mean, that's... That's going to be... The next episode is going to be so weird. I, like, I think we should sort of like bask in what we have this week. Because I, I have a feeling I'm going to be annoyed as hell at next week's episode. Well, some other foreshadowing. Tyrion says, I'm glad Cersei won't get to murder me. Maybe I'll become a White Walker and go down and get to kill her. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I, I mentioned this to you when we were watching it. I thought that it was possible that everybody during the fireplace scene where Tyrion sort of, you know, brought everyone in and started drinking and, you know, shooting the shit could possibly die. Because Tyrion does the sort of famous last words thing. It's like, maybe we'll all live. So I, I thought 
that maybe everybody that was present in that room might actually die, which would be, you know, Jamie, Brienne, Davos. And I still think that, however, both Lannister brothers were in the room, and I cannot imagine that both Jamie and Tyrion die. No, based on emotional heft of this episode, I think my top candidate to die next week, and it kills me, is Brienne. Followed closely by Jorah. Yes. Yeah, both of them got their moments this week. Um, Pod is likely to go, too. He just doesn't serve much of the story after this is He's over. He's going to be Sansa's husband. I'm sticking to this. Theon, definitely going to die. Hopefully. The only thing Theon has left to do is, is one act of heroism himself, yes. and sacrifice yeah. himself. Um, I, I think Sam is going to make it because we think he writes... Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. I There's mean, so much weight placed on what John and Danny's roles are going to be afterward that I think both of them are going to survive. What about Davos? What do we think is going to happen to Davos? We want Davos to live. I do too, but I mean, what? I, I, I don't imagine that he will. I mean, he had, like Jorah and Brienne, he had sort of his come to Jesus moment, and maybe that's it. Yeah. So we'll put Davos on the dead list. I think. I think all the Starks make it. You think that's... I think Arya might die. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I want Sansa to live. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. I, I think this might be, you know, that classic horror movie situation where, you know, the young virginal person loses their virginity and then is immediately killed by the the. <laughs> I think we're going to go slasher. that horror trope? I mean, that, that's a trope well, for a reason. We see her running through the crypt, so she we know she makes it through, like, the initial yeah. battle. Because she's on the wall at one point, and then she's in the crypt, so she does something. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's too hard to think of all these people. Grey Worm, definitely dying. Oh, yeah, the worm is He's turned. on the front line. And the worm has turned. Oh, my God. I'm, uh, I can't. But Sandy's got to be in the crypts, right? Yeah. Or is she, like... Yeah. Holding it down with Danny somewhere. No, Danny's going to be riding a dragon. I know, but I guess theoretically, Miss Sandy could be riding behind her. I don't know. No. It's really sad. Do we. Tyrion, live or die? I think he might die. Yeah, I think I think if I had to pick one Lannister bro to make it, I'm going to go Jamie. Me too. Because I think it's going to kill him to see Brienne killed, and then he's going to realize. Gotta go kill my sister. Right. I mean, he has a prophecy to live up to. Tyrion could also fulfill that prophecy. He could, but it seems... Danny could fill that prophecy. Little Valonqar doesn't have to be Cersei's Valonqar. It it has to be Jaime or or Tyrion. And all of the L's that Tyrion's been taking and the fact that, like, he doesn't seem to have a giant role left to play after this battle... I mean, this could be like a situation where he sacrifices himself in a heroic way too, and rather than almost, you know, dying the way that he did in Blackwater, you know, he will actually die this time. All right, this is a bummer. What did you think of an entire episode with no Cersei? That was fine. I know, and I don't think next week we'll have any of her either. That's fine. One it's going to feel so weird to go from this like massive living versus dead battle back to the political. So that that's that's a, that was going to be my question. Do we think that my prediction is that we're going uh, of us getting a big time jump is going to still happen? I I still think that it, it's the it serves the story the best if we get this crazy battle 
we see some sort of definitive end to it, and then episode four, we jump six months ahead. What do you think? I, mean, I think, think that's I don't think we're going to be able to go from like battle to the very next morning after. No. You know, it's not going to make any sense. You can't just do the day after with Winterfell and the North littered with dead bodies, the immediate aftermath of probably like two dragons laying dead in the fields. It's, you know, how would you even deal with the like emotional weight of that if you're a character? And then how do you go through sort of the logistics of whoever survives then marching down south? And I mean, that that would take forever. So yeah, yeah you'd I think, have to regroup, yeah. reassess what you've got, deal with the impact of losing people like Grey Worm and Brienne. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right on with that. Yeah, so I, I think we get a bit of a gap in the last three episodes. We get, you know, whoever battles ultimately for the throne and then we see what the aftermath of... Give your theory about maybe finding out in episode four who died as opposed to episode three. Yeah, I mean, my my, my theory is that we, we will have some suspense leaving episode three regarding who specifically died in the battle. And then we may get, you know, a scene, for example, like, you know, John visiting the crypts of Winterfell post-battle and, you know, seeing Lyanna's crypt and then right next to it, for example, Arya's crypt. And that, that way we'll have some sense as to who survived and who didn't. I just don't know if Benioff and Weiss can resist, like, emotional death scenes. I hope they can. Of, like, 40 deaths in the next episode. I mean, even if we got half the people that I think are going to die, they're still going to have to have some suspense about the others. That's true. That's true. Well, no suspense. This podcast has to die right now. We're going on a little long. And we just all need to, you know, come together in prayer in preparation for next week's episode. So let me know how you're planning to cope, who you think is going to die, who you think is going to live. You can also let Lucas know too, I guess. But you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at BasicCablePod, or you can email us your thoughts, BasicCablePod at gmail.com. Please, please download, tell your friends, like and subscribe. Yes. Leave us a review. Tell somebody. Yes. Tell someone that, See something, say something. This is a Game of Thrones podcast where they talk about the show like you talk about it with your friends. You disagree, you've got wild theories, you're dirty, you know, (laughs) you get all nasty with it. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, what is dead may never die. Valar Margulis. Basic Cable is hosted and produced by Lucas and Carly, music you hear at the beginning and end of our episodes, provided royalty-free courtesy of bensoundmusic.com. Thanks for listening. We love your sounds, Ben. 